Well, because we have an opportunity on, on March 6th, and hopefully again in April and May, uh, to, to have some extended time of worship, uh, I, I want to focus just a little more uh, this Sunday on the discipline of worship. Uh, in fact, I want to do that this Sunday and, and next Sunday. And I want to begin this morning by, by looking at how our culture attempts to rena rename us. Because I believe who we are, who you and I recognize ourselves to be, has a huge impact upon who we worship and how we worship. Uh, today we're going to look at this subject by looking at Daniel 1, uh, verses 1 to 7. And then next week, I want to look at how you and I are tempted to false worship by looking at Daniel 3, uh, verses 1 to 7. So let's begin this morning with, with Daniel uh, chapter 1. A lot of those, a number of those names in this text that we all love to, uh, to read, so uh, I'll get to mess them up, uh, not, not you all. This In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them, assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, or you may hear some people say Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Uh, some of you have perhaps uh, heard me tell this story, but it's, it's near and dear to my heart, uh, when I was a, a freshman at NC State, Jim Graham, who was then uh, North Carolina's Commissioner of Agriculture, uh, visited campus. Now, there was nothing unusual about Jim Graham coming uh, to campus. He was an NC State graduate. He had been the Commissioner of Agriculture for many, many years. So he often visited campus. But on this particular uh, occasion, Mr. Graham was making a presentation and I decided to go hear him speak because he was from my hometown of Cleveland, North Carolina, and he was also a dear friend of my grandfather's who was a farmer. After his presentation, Mr. Graham stuck around for a while talking to students, and, and I decided to go up and introduce myself to him. Now, I got to tell you that I was a bit intimidated. Uh, people who knew uh, Mr. Graham knew him uh, as a mountain of a man. 
In fact, around Cleveland, they referred to him as Big Jim. So as I went up and I shook his enormous hands, I was nervous and I blurted out something like, I'm Danny Redman. To which he replied as he chewed on his unlit cigar, Who? As if to say, So what? And then I said, I'm Danny Redman, Bud Redman's grandson. And he said, Oh, Buddy's grandson. Well, why didn't you say so to begin with? We proceed to talk about my grandfather and how my grandfather tended Mr. Graham's farm while Mr. Graham was in Raleigh taking care of business. By the end of our conversation, Mr. Graham told me, he said, look, call my office one day, tell them specifically that you're Bud Redmond's grandson, and I'll call you back. My wife and I would like to have you over for a steak dinner. I never took Mr. Graham up on that offer, but I, I learned something that day, names matter names matter though my family were was not we were not movers and shakers in rowan county north carolina our family name was important uh, that was one of those aha moments for me when i i kind of vowed that day that i wanted to keep a good name for myself and my family names matter and no name should matter more to you and i than the name the child of god 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what or who we are. That's what should define us, folks. But here's our problem. We live in a culture that's always tempting you and I to redefine ourselves. We're tempted to define ourselves by what is right in our eyes, instead of what is right in God's eyes. We're tempted to, to define ourselves according to our constantly shifting culture and ideas. Live your own truth is one of our mantras. You do you, I'll do me, or something like that, folks say. So we try to redefine ourselves according to whatever we think is true. And since our culture declares that there are no absolute truths, we're always changing. We're always shifting our identities. But we do not have the freedom to define ourselves because we've already been defined by our Creator and by our Redeemer. God has defined us as male or female. God has defined our ethnicity. God has given all of us a certain kind of build. God has given us eye and hair color, and the list could go on and on and on. God has given us our identity. And if we trust in Christ, He specifically defined you and I as children of God. We're people of God, and that has huge implications for who we are and how we worship the people of God simply put, worship God. It's really simple. But again, culture tries to rename us. And the ultimate goal of that renaming is to draw you and I away from the worship of God. And this redefining, this renaming is nothing new. Uh, we see it very clearly in the book of Daniel. 
You know the story. I just read it for you. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has besieged Jerusalem. And fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord, Judah is given into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. The king then instructs his chief eunuch to bring some of the best from Jerusalem and, and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans and to educate them for three years in preparation for service to the king. Daniel and his friends, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, are part of these who were brought and educated. And clearly this education was more of an indoctrination. And it began by changing their names. Verse 7, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. The Babylonian king and his eunuch renamed Daniel and his friends. But make no mistake, folks, it was more than a simple name change. This name change was meant to obliterate their identities as the people of God. It was meant to obliterate their identities as the people of God. Chris Hodges in his book, The Daniel Dilemma, offers an excellent ex explanation of these name changes. And uh, here is a summary. <laughs> First, we have Daniel. Daniel, originally his name meant God is my judge. But Belteshazzar actually means lady and protect the king. Daniel's name on paper, at least, was meant to try to change his gender. He was no longer a man held accountable by God, but now he was a woman who was supposed to protect the king. The fo focus was no longer upon God, but upon a man. The focus was not upon God. The focus was on the protection of the king. Hananiah's name originally meant Yahweh has been gracious, but it was changed to Shadrach. I am fearful of God. It inverted the focus from God being good to God being feared. And the fear here was not the reverence kind of fear. The fear here was the shaking in your boots kind of fear. Focus was no longer on worshiping the gracious and loving God. Instead, the focus was on self, that I'm a person who should be afraid of God. Mishael, the name meant, who can compare to my God? And the expected answer was, no one compares to my God. But Meshach meant, I am despised, contemptible, humiliated. Again, the focus was shifted from God to self. I am no longer a person who finds confidence in God. I'm now a person who is a coward and who despises myself. Azariah meant, Yahweh has helped me. But Abednego, the new name, meant the servant of Nebo. Again, the focus went from being helped by God to being the slave of a man, the servant of a man named Nebo. In each case, their identities were completely reoriented, folks. Their focus was shifted from God to someone else, either themselves or another man. And that identity theft was meant, again, make no mistake, it was meant to reorient their worship. 
But here's what God says about us. The world can try to rename us. Nebuchadnezzar and his eunuch can give all kinds of names. But let me just share a few scriptures of what God says about us. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I form you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Psalm 139 For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you, even when I was being made in secret. Ultrasounds are wonderful, but God doesn't need them. He was already viewing you while you were being made in secret. Your eyes, it says, saw my unformed substance. God knew as long before anyone else did. And you know what he said? He said, I created you very, very, very special. Uniquely the person who you are. Then in Christ, our identity becomes even greater. 1 John 3, 1 again. See what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 1 Peter 2.10 God says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Romans 8, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Folks, we are who God has made us to be. Beloved children of God. We have a unique purpose that God has given us for our lives. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are adopted into the family of the King. We are granted eternal life. That is our true identity. Now, our, our enemy Satan, he seeks for us to, to accept cultural definitions. And when we give in to that, then others around us get to create the standards of how we measure up, or more often, they create the standards of how we don't measure up in their eyes. Peer pressure and cultural standards of beauty and success direct our focus to external qualities if we'll let them. Pretty soon they reduce our, in, our identity to whatever they say we are. They may say, you're a redneck, or you're a blonde, or you're plus-sized, or you're disabled. And we struggle with the cultural labors, and we begin to focus too much on things like appearance. And so we, we do everything we can to remain beautiful and youthful. Or we focus too much on performance and our self-worth. It oscillates depending on how people validate us by what we do or don't do. We, we focus on our possessions. Money rules our lives and, and we have a false security based on our possessions. And we know that physical appearances and performance and possessions, they don't really define us. We know that. But the more we hear those cultural labels the more they get in us, the more we accept it, 
if we're not very careful. Not only does our enemy use the physical world against us, he'll use the psychological world of our day. And he'll attempt to redefine us by that. Uh, as continuing education, I'm taking a, a biblical counseling class. And uh, the instructor, uh, Dr. J. Adams, asserts that the trouble with most counseling today is that it's an eclectic gathering of pop psychology. And, and at, its, at its root, it's trying to define our human nature or redefine our human nature. Freud, for example, who despised God, basically says that, that others are responsible for your brokenness. So that, that kind of psychology leads you and I to blaming others and even blaming God. Another comes from Rogers who says humankind's basically good and therefore humankind can solve all their own problems. So one should, can conclude from that that we don't need God. We can solve our own problems. Another comes from Skinner who says humankind's just an animal. Now he or she's a slightly higher animal, but still an animal. Therefore, if we buy into that conclusion, you and I are not fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not the crown of God's creation. All of those are designed, folks, to pull us away from worshiping God, to redefine who we are. And if cultural identity and, and psychology is enough, Satan will use our past. He loves to use our past. He loves to bring it up and say, you know you're a failure, right? You know that you're a liar. You know you're a hypocrite, don't you? Or maybe he'll say, you're just wretched. Satan loves to pull that card on us and bring up our past. But you know what? God knows every part of our past, present, and future. And he says, beloved, I love you anyway. You are a child of God. And when we let God control our lives, he, get, he does give us a new identity. I'm no longer just Danny. I'm Danny, a child of God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's our new identity. Paul was Saul. He ravaged the church. He abused the church. But God gave him a new identity, Paul. And he became the great evangelist. He became the great theologian whom, whom much of our theology comes from. God gives us a new identity and it's a beloved and it's a wonderful identity. It makes all the difference. Babylon wanted to rename the people. Our culture wants to rename us. But God is drawing us unto himself and he's drawing us into worship. Our culture tries to redefine us, but, but, redefine us, but please hold on to the truth. That if you have trusted Christ, you are the child of the living God. And eternity with God is your hope, is your promise. And there is no greater identity. I urge you this morning to recognize that you were born for a season. You and I were born to be this season's worshipers and servers of God. You and I were given a purpose. God called you and I to worship and to serve Him. 
be aware, folks, of, of who God made you to be and, and let it permeate everything you do and every decision you make. I know I've said it many times and we're going to sing it again at the end. You are a child of God. And be, being fully aware of who you are, encourage those around you to be who they are in God. Encourage especially fellow believers to understand that they too are children of God. As we close today by singing who you say I am, carefully notice the words. I am chosen, not forsaken. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. Let that truth fill you and expand your worship of our loving Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. God. Oh Lord, may we always find our identity in you. Forgive us when we're tempted to let culture or, or our own perception identify us. Remind us again and again, not just as we sing this song, but throughout our day and our week, that we are who you say we are, that we are your children. And Father, in knowing that we're your children, may we worship and adore you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. As we leave here today, may we just continue to worship and, and go into our daily lives worshiping and adoring you. Oh Lord, to you alone, to you alone, do we give the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing who you say I am.
you're a child of God. Church, do you believe that? I hope so. Oh, go out and live as children of God to worship and adore Him in everything. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.